Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Thursday night edition of the Dunked on Basketball podcast. One of my absolute favorite guests, of course, Utah Jazz play by play announcer on the radio, also host of Locked On Jazz and the Locked On NBA podcast, where he has far better guests than I do. David Locke, how are you doing? All right. Now, I either take that as a compliment or since I'm your guest, you've just said that every <laughs> one of my guests is better than me. <laughs> Well, you did have Zach Harper on today, right? So that's a. I did, and I have the, and I have the, and I have the, co- the coach as well. So you know, my uh, my guests sometimes I can't even call them by name, which means you know who knows. But I no, like you coach. know, it's funny. Uh, my lawyer's mind, as soon as I said that, realized that. Oh, wait a minute! Like he is a guest on my show, and now I'm imputing him. I, right. I did. I didn't mean to do that, but I, I figured that nobody else would be as arcane as me to actually catch it. But uh, you did immediately. So well, that, that's, that's this is why we get along. Well, this is also because so i always thought i was going to be a lawyer um and then i was actually smart enough to not go to law school and just go straight into broadcasting you just went to law school have the hoity-toity title are so impressive have a far better fallback plan than i do if something goes wrong but frankly had to go to law school and be a lawyer oh man i have like completely forgotten everything about just like the day-to-day of being a lawyer it's only been like a year and a half too i if i had to go back i it would be uh it would be a disaster how many (laughs) happy lawyers do you know yeah that's interesting my mom is very happy um she's been an insurance lawyer in chicago for uh over 40 years um she really liked it she was part of the reason i went to law school i mean i was a happy lawyer i just like this better you know it wasn't i mean i think compared to most people but yeah they're definitely i think the biggest issue in the law is just other lawyers are so annoying and miserable uh that you know whether it's the people you're working for you know there's a certain type of personality that leads you to make partner in a big law firm and then if you're an associate working for that type of personality you might be pretty miserable and then you know having to deal with opposing counsel all the time who just are incredibly intransigent a lot of the time could be pretty stressful for a lot of people too i didn't go to law school so i don't know what that word meant that you used there (laughs) it means they never agree for any reason which uh hopefully will be uh the theme of this podcast for us too or maybe maybe that'll be the the home and home on your podcast which you and i have had some significant disagreements over our times when we've done these before no it's uh and i like it when instead of you just say, huh, that's interesting, which is what you usually do when you disagree. You actually like fire back. We, we encourage that here. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. I'm revved up. I'll fire back when necessary. Um, well, so where I wanted to start here is just a, some general 
NBA stuff. You're a keen observer of the league. You watch a ton of games. You watch a ton of games live. You also have, you know, you're around the team more. So I think you, both in terms of the game and in terms of just seeing how teams operate, you have a unique perspective. So I wanted to ask you just like, what have you learned about basketball this year and about the NBA this year, just in general? Have you reached any conclusions about, hey, you know what? Like, I just came to the conclusion that this works or, or this doesn't work or, hey, this is something that I never realized was so important or so unimportant? Uh, I think that um... – so by being around the team every day, I'm taking your question a little bit differently, but I'd say the two things that I think I've learned most by uh, being around a team every day that fights against kind of my analytical uh, belief of loving to look at the NBA analytically. And that when I see things on Twitter from people, I'm like, ah, gosh, like that doesn't work that way. Is one that one that no decision is 100% 0%. Yeah. And I think we all act like when the coach makes it, oh my gosh, how? How could he possibly do that? Well, like it was probably 51-49 or 55-45 or 60-40. And then part two of that is that there are a lot of times in which because no, the second thing is that no decision is made in a capsule. They're all made with a team dynamic involved or an 82-game schedule involved. That there are times when it's absolutely appropriate to take the 40% choice on the 60-40. Yeah, and I think not only that is there a 60-40 sometimes, it's that even if you make the wrong decision, the nature of the game is just that sometimes things are, are going to work out well, right? If you call a terrible play as a coach and your team ends up shooting a really bad isolation jumper, that's still a 30% shot that goes in. So it's really possible to be rewarded for bad decisions a lot of times more than perhaps we're willing to acknowledge. Well, and I think, so what you're talking about is more like, I was thinking, more rotational items or oh sure yeah, yeah or things of just how you're you know how you might be running a player yeah, how you yeah. close or, out a or game you, or something. you put it you put in the worst player and you know he just happens to heat up and, and make a few shots that night you know it could just right. be just something like that too and the one uh quinn snyder talks about it all the time that, that he that he he i think had to kind of teach himself along the way is you know he's like any coach that says they're not second guessing every decision they make whether it works or not is not telling the truth he says that the problem you have to remind yourself as a coach is that just because what you chose didn't work doesn't mean the other was going to either yeah that, that's a good point too you could have and you can also just be over justifying your decisions by saying hey you know we had the right process here and rely on that as opposed to you know hey maybe we we really need to fix this so especially even in a long season like this with 82 games there are just so many factors that evaluating your decision making now i think it's i think that's actually much harder for coaches than it is for front office i think front office you kind of have a larger sample size you have a larger scope i think compared to coaching i think that the front office in a lot of ways can be easier uh especially because you're not really on the ground you don't have your boots on the ground to where you have to manage some of the the egos involved as much right and then so a little bit of what i think you're talking about there's the other thing i've started to kind of clue into around the league i think there are pre-march coaching decisions and post-march one coaching decisions so pre-march one coaching decisions are all based on trade deadline 82 games maintaining a schedule maintaining a locker room, um, maintaining options, maintaining player development, allowing for different player development to happen, like giving guys chances to play 
through mistakes. And then March 1 is either your franchise takes the turn where it's not going for the playoffs, so then you just play all your young kids, and you just ignore winning to some extent, and you just develop. Or two, you start to worry a little less on some of keeping everybody involved, and you start to narrow down your rotation and get your team playoff ready. And so I think in that sense, as a coach, that's where it's really much more difficult in the sense that you're playing the whole 82-game schedule. Now, from a front office, um, the one thing I think is really eye-opening to me with some insight on things is how many chances you have at something. So if you even think about the Jazz trading for George Hill, like I think that had probably been discussed numerous times before, and and you probably think, oh, the door closed on that. Yeah, eventually it opens, right? Or if you keep those conversations. And maybe there's other times where you had one window to get a player and you didn't jump on it, and then you never get another chance to get him. Um, I think that's... I think that's the most interesting thing. Like PJ Tucker Toronto, I thought was like probably the best move by anybody at the trade deadline, frankly, um, other than maybe Sacramento trading to Marcus Cousins. Yeah, yeah. But, Cer- certainly for this year. Oh yeah, I mean, Cousins. Uh, it's interesting because I've actually come closer to your view on on Cousins than uh, than you know the conventional wisdom, maybe. But the, maybe that's something we could we could hit on a little bit later. Yeah, I thought it just for imp- as far as improving this year. Yeah, it probably was that PJ Tucker I, I, move. Toronto's I thought that awesome was awesome on D all of a sudden. And I look at uh, the other playoff teams there's a bunch of teams that all of a sudden if you ask yeah. them now on march 15th instead of or march 25th instead of february whatever it was i think we suddenly really need pj tucker right like actually yeah. the jazz suddenly need pj tucker you know like a yeah. bunch of guys that expected to be playing well aren't playing well and suddenly they could have used him and and i think the rockets could probably use him a little bit more than they thought they could have and I, it's interesting how time evolves on that one as well no, that's a good point and uh you know maybe some of the teams that didn't make moves as well you could look at, at uh, atlanta who we talked about a on my show quite a bit as a team that hey they're the four seed in the east they're 10 games over 500 yeah i know paul Millsap's a free agent we can't break this team up and now you know it looks like they are going to struggle to even get into the playoffs and they're going to be you know first round fodder most likely yeah they're they're really quite something right now i mean i'm not detroit's got to be thinking we might be able to catch atlanta like in atlanta's in the fifth spot and then detroit's in the 10th <laughs> yeah they might be out of it after after yesterday uh so one of the things that i've uh, come to a conclusion of this is a lot more hyper specific than what you're talking about was i think that you know it used to be hey ice the pick and roll drop back under the basket that's the way to do it force mid-range jumpers that's how pretty much just about every nba team should be playing defense and i think i've seen it both with the nuggets and uh the warriors in particular that if you have a less athletic center you're almost better off in some ways bringing him up to just prevent the initial penetration to begin with uh then you are because if you have that guy hang back that you know or maybe if you have like a nikola vucevic type or even ennis cancer would be an- another one although you may dispute that given your experience with him but to actually just bring that guy up and say all right now you just you're not going to turn the corner you got to throw a tough pass to the roll guy you got to throw a long pass to the other side rather than just letting a guard get ahead of steam at that guy just under the rim where he's not gonna be able to do anything maybe that's actually a better way to do it what do you think of that I don't I, I've never I never like uh, and I, I and I try maybe too hard to be contrary to this. I, I never like when we think and we being this kind of math, this basketball media, which I do think has a little bit of a collective brain when we decide to determine that there's one way things should be done, because I just think that's really fault. Um, I think there's different times where things should be done. I think there's different ways to approach things and there's personnel issues. I mean, I actually even go back to a conversation I had with Rob Mahoney once where I was really 
defending some things that Tyrone Corbin did. And there were areas in that conversation where I probably overly defended Ty, but there was also areas where Rob really killed Ty in an article where Ty had tried a lot of the things Rob was saying and they didn't work. Now, what he was doing right now also didn't work. Well, that's because Al Jefferson just couldn't defend, right? Like it didn't, you know, it really didn't matter what he did. Um, And so on some of these things, you know, Terry Stotts is a huge believer in dropping the big, right? It was fabulous with Robin Lopez and then it became not very good with Plumlee for a year. Well, that's a personnel thing, not a scheme thing. And I'm not sure that changing that scheme was right. Uh, So I... I, I think I guess I never bought the group think that you had to drop the big into the lane. Well, we do it a lot with Gobert. If you have Rudy, that's incredible defense. But sure. on certain te- on certain teams, um, it doesn't work. And frankly, we're thought of as drop the big team. And I know plenty of times where our defensive scheme has changed for the night, and our big is supposed to play it a little differently. I don't know how many people notice it, but we don't play it the same way every night. So I I guess I just don't buy the group think into one philosophy. So I think you're right that you've noticed that there's something different. I I think the premise by which you were coming from was probably all of us being flawed. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, be back with more from David Lockett right after this work. Do or contact lenses. My girlfriend does, and she was quite pleased that we got Hubble Contacts as a sponsor. What if I told you that you can get a pair of fresh lenses for every single day for $30 a month? That's $1 a day, half the price of other daily brands. If you go to HubbleContacts.com, you can get your first two weeks free. Signing up is incredibly easy. It took me maybe 45 seconds to do it for my girlfriend. All she did was just text me her prescription. I put it in and about a week later, the contacts started arriving. It was fantastic. How is Hubble able to give you daily contacts so much less expensively than the other guys. Well, contacts are expensive because four companies control 97% of the market. Hubble sells directly to you so they can offer their contacts for half the price, no markups going through your optometrist or anything else. And they can even send you to an optometrist if you don't have a prescription today. Getting contacts is never more convenient and affordable. No more overpaying, overwearing, easy on the eyes and the wallet. They're recently featured in a BuzzFeed article of seven new products that will change your life. And to get started with them, you can go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. You can't beat this deal. Two free weeks of contacts at HubbleContacts.com. That's H-U-B-B-L-E Contacts.com. So I wanted to shift to... No, no, no. So you what? went to commercial break because you were pissed about my answer. I know that. That's no, why what, what, what was uh, uh, You went to commercial break because you were mad about my answer. <laughs> what, what was to be mad about it? I, I thought it was... I don't know. I, I mean, I just you, you pretty much agreed with me. No, I, I basically was just like, all right, I, I, we only have limited time. I wanted to get to the jazz and... Right. Oh, wait, I have to make some money. I totally forgot. I better get this in right now. <laughs> hey, I'm all for podcasts making money. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Multiple podcasts making money. I'm all for it. Uh, I want to talk about Derek Favors first. And he was someone who, this time last year, maybe a little bit before then, if you looked at who the best player on the Jazz was, there's a legitimate argument that he was actually maybe their best player. Now, Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert have both taken such enormous steps forward this year that that probably wouldn't be an argument even if he were at his former level. But he, of course, has struggled. It's kind of been a lost year for him. I, I was encouraged by you know what I saw from him maybe around early February or so. He looked a little bit more spry but then you know he's now been shut down again but is he really 
is he important to this team at this point is he really essential to what they're trying to do or is it just hey this guy you know he's a good player but he's kind of a combo big and and, uh you know especially if he's not going to have like his his absolute peak athleticism you know that maybe he doesn't fit into the modern game that well so if you go back a year ago to exactly what you're talking about a year ago he destroys demarcus cousins and anthony davis in in like close to back-to-back games he has 28 14 4 and 3 against cousins and he has 28 11 3 and 6 blocks against davis in i mean i think they were both early march that's 12 months ago like that guy that player holy smokes if we had that player is he essential to jazz Absolutely. Uh, when he and Gobert are on the floor together, the Jazz defensive rating is 96.5. You can talk to me about how cumbersome an offense is, how non-modern big spaced it is, how much of a pain it is for Quinn Snyder to try to get guys shots. All you got to do is be better than 96.5, right? The yeah. worst offense in the NBA is 102, isn't it? 100, 102? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe the Sixers are worse than that, but yeah, it's, okay. uh, it, it's so, pretty damn good is the point. So, so if you if you put the Jazz team out there and, you know, their average offensive team at about 105, 106, and you tell me, well, gosh, I think if you have favors on the floor, you might be 10 or 15% less good offensively. Okay, that's fine, right? Like, I'm yeah. fine with that. Because we're still also... going to be plus six, plus seven with favors. And I think, so So that's, so yes, he's vital. And even this year, that's like, imagine if he was right. He hasn't been right all year. Now here's yeah. part two of it. Here's yeah. what's happened to the Jazz recently. The Jazz with Gobert and Joe Johnson on the floor together. So that's the four or five combo are pretty good. Uh, even since the All-Star break, when we've been struggling, they're still plus four for the season. They're plus 13. The defensive rating for the season's like a 102 yeah. recently. It's a 108. It's just it's just so tough to ask Joe Johnson to play like starters minutes, and not only starters right. minutes, but starters minutes at the four at this Boom. point in his career. You nailed it. So you have tw- you have probably, at the most, 20 minutes a night you can ask for that. You've got about 16 minutes a night you can get Gobert in favors if he's right. So you've the problem we have you still you have you still have to link together another 10 minutes a night okay without favors we got to link together 26 minutes a night of defensive prowess we can't do it we just don't have the personnel to do it uh and so favors is incredibly vital for this team even if he's only playing 12 minutes with gobert and eight minutes as a center yeah and without having that you end up having big combinations on the floor like joe johnson and jeff with defensive rating since he also break is 114 or jeff boris diaw and jeff with defensive yeah. rating is is also 114 the, the, none, none of the power forwards on the team other than favors really can stop anybody i think and they're good offensive players but uh, you know at this point especially if those guys have to get out in the perimeter and guard it's just it's really hard for them and trey lyles has just not handled his sophomore season yet yeah right? I, I do actually have to take i mean i don't want to take a victory lap over someone not playing but you, when we talked about uh we did the preview and i was like hey i don't think trey lyles is going to play this year and you you push back on that i think it, it's looked like you you mentioned the aftermarket first thing and yeah i mean i think it's it's pretty clear that you know he's just he's not gonna play over joe johnson and and, and boris Dia. like it's just like no no coach really is gonna make that decision i think at this point and uh, not and even if whether lyle's had a disappointing year or not i think they're always gonna just lean on the veterans when the going gets tough it seems like i think they would have liked to have trey lyle's play some of those four minutes and have boris Dia play some five minutes instead and it just didn't work i haven't watched every jazz game but do they play Gordon Hayward at the four very much at all and and if not why not so you'd have to decide if you believe that when Joe Ingles is in the game and is he at the four or is Gordon at the four at that point 
Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I guess that's kind of the same thing, essentially. So you're saying that Joe is playing the four, and that that's uh, but usually, yeah. Usually, I think by definition, it's Joe Ingles at the four, but you could just as easily claim that that's Gordon Hayward at the four. Yeah, I, I guess you could, and then you would. I mean, because it's really a question of whether like Joe Ingles would be the guy who would be in there, and then you would have Hood. But you know, the, how many games of Hood and Hill also been healthy as well? I mean, I, I think not to get lost in the shuffle here. How good the Jazz have been, despite these crazy injuries that, that they've had. I mean you said that Derek Favors wasn't going to play George Hill was going to miss you know a third maybe even 40 percent of the season I'm not sure exactly what it was and be hampered part of the rest with with this toe thing I think to, to get to where they're at has actually been pretty impressive all right so if I were to ask you you might know this but I'll ask the listener uh how many games do you think the Jazz have had their starting lineup together this season I want to say like 13 are they like 12 and 1 in those games or something like that yeah. yep they're 13 and their starting lineup I think there might be 11 and 2 and one of the losses is the fourth game in five nights in Memphis. They're 11 and 2 in 13 games, and I believe their differential with that five on the floor is over plus 10. You know, we may never know how good this team was, but it it might have been it might have been the third best team in the West. It might be it might have been right up there with the Houston Rockets uh, for the third best team in the West. We'll never know. Yeah, the, that's a thought because there's certainly a lot of variables this offseason. George Hill's free agency, Gordon Hayward's free agency, uh, Favors being a free agent after next year, and the possibility that maybe the that he could get moved uh but what i wanted to ask you is i i know you don't have any really understanding of you know what hayward's decision might be but just from your knowing him how do you how much do you think the ultimate result of this jazz season and how well they do in the playoffs would affect his decision to stay or leave well i don't think it can do anything but affect his decision right like that's like i i get that question a lot and i'm, I'm taking it in a very um literal sense that it has to affect his decision because that's the last emotion you have with your team yeah right and so that i don't think that that can be underestimated just that the last emotion you have if you, it's it's almost the op it's uh it's the op it's the opposite of little miss sunshine the movie I, I thought that was a terrible movie with the greatest finish maybe of any movie i've ever watched <laughs> like it really like the end of little miss sunshine might be like one of my seriously favorite cinematic moments like you just can't feel better does that make it a good movie what happens if like in sense of gordon hayward so you take that the first part of his career was pretty miserable in utah they weren't good and he didn't like his coat you know he didn't have a great coach and i don't know if he liked him or not but you know just the coaching didn't work and the second set of his was has been fabulous he became an all-star his coach is brilliant his training staff is fabulous he's worked with assistant coaches beautifully you know like does he put seven years and just put it in a mosh pit and say well it's overall it's been does he take just the last three years when he analyzes it does he have enough scars from the first three years that he's just dying to leave oh, does and, he and the fact that he had to go go somewhere else to get a restricted free agent offer to get the max sure. salary that he wanted sure right that's probably a scar like i think this is what's so interesting about free agency is that he has scar the only team he has scars with are his own right yeah that's the and, same thing for Durant. Right. Durant had a lot of scars with Oklahoma City for whatever, you know, whether it's clear. Like he left his exit out of Oklahoma City. He didn't do any of the good natured things back to OKC. So he like whether you, he had scars. I don't know what they are, but he had scars that were enough that you can tell from his behavior. He did not leave loving the place. Um, 
is, you know, that's just the reality of spending seven years somewhere. You know, it's no different than a marriage. Yeah, well, and especially when you get drafted in, as most stars do, to teams that aren't that good at the time. And I guess, I think the reason I asked, though, is that obviously the Jazz can offer him the most money and the most years. You'd have to imagine that unless something catastrophic happened, such an offer would be forthcoming. He could also make an All-NBA team and then maybe even uh, opt into next year and then extend for that five-year Mega Max extension. That's also something that it could be a possibility uh but it's just the jazz, the jazz yeah. will pay gordon what the market yields yeah i mean not what the market allows not right. what it yields. yeah yeah whatever they can basically yeah, yeah they're so, gonna pay it um you know it, it's interesting though just the question of you know is that important to him is just being in the absolute best possible place to win what's important to him you know i think that that's kind of a going to be the the interesting question i mean just based on having known him for these years now do you get an impression of just like what the factors are that would be most important to him just you know is it the security is it the money is it just the absolute best chance to win what do you think i think 80 percent of it is being driven by winning yeah he would say 100 percent. i'll say 80 percent. whether he realizes it or not there, there are there are some other factors right like the question i have like so we were playing washington and we, I think, it, we're, we were great that day. We were in Washington. Uh, they had they lost one game at home in like 23. Uh, Jazz were terrific. I think everybody might have been healthy. Uh, we were up by 14. They make a run. You begin to feel like, uh oh. Gets down to six. Quinn calls timeout. Calls a play for Gordon. He nails the top of the key jumper. Run a beautiful step back. Next play, calls a play for Gordon. Hits the top of the circle three. Game's over. Right. And he timeout Scott Brooks and Gordon's banging his chest and you know he just won the game like in Boston those plays are called for Isaiah Thomas yeah anywhere that he goes where he's going to have a better chance of winning than in Utah he's not going to be the main guy asked to score at the end of the game and I don't think that that is an overriding that's why I say I think 80% is winning but that has to factor in a little I, I just can't imagine that that doesn't factor in and maybe not enough as I'm saying I don't think it's I don't think it's 51% I don't think he's a guy that has to be the man uh, over winning but I do think that has to factor in some percentage of the equation last thing b- before uh, I let you go and then we immediately record uh, <laughs> your podcast uh, the matchup with the Clippers that looks like it's pretty likely now that the Jazz are going to be locked into that. Although there's still Oklahoma City may have some a little something to say about that. Yeah, I, uh, I would I would say as we record this, I suspect we're going to be six. Really, and is part of that because George Hill is going to isn't going to play tonight, and and just, you know Favors is still out, and just some of the injury issues. We just don't have a lot of wins on our schedule left, right? We're yeah. in Sacramento tonight without George Hill, without Derek Favors, so you're playing without two starters. We're playing Washington on, and maybe and I think Gordon's going to play, but I'm not sure. Uh, uh, we're going to play Washington on Friday, uh, assuming we're going to be without those two probably again. I don't know that, but just I, 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 I'm, my post-traumatic jazz syndrome for the season is the fact that I just assume people are out. And then if you look at our schedule the re- in our final six games, we have Portland twice, who we struggle to match up with, who are playing great. Minnesota once, Golden State once, and San Antonio twice. Like How many wins are left on that schedule? Yeah, Three? Uh, you've been saying this, but uh, for, the, for those who haven't seen it, you better root for the Warriors to win tonight against San Antonio and basically lock up that number one seed so those two teams have nothing to play for. Two, two 
two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I said we were going to be seven. I thought we were going to tie with Memphis. I don't think Memphis can get us now. I think they've just dropped enough games that I don't think they'll yeah. get to and, us. And they, they're, they've but, been a 500 team for the last like three months, too. Which but but their schedule, they don't play anybody. Yeah. Right? They have one more game against the Spurs. Other than that, I think they have a 70% win probability, according to 538, on every game the rest of the way. Hmm. Um, so we could, we could still, I mean, if we get to 48, which we probably should, I think we're six. If we get to 49, I think we could be fourth. Is if we, there, get, if we get to 50, we're fourth, by the way. Do you, you think if you take home court advantage out of the equation, you think there's a feeling for this team that they might almost rather play Houston than the Clippers just because of the way they've struggled so much against the Clippers these last two years? It's a very logical comment just because of exactly what you said. I find it laughable if a team that has not made the playoffs and has no track record of performing in the playoffs starts talking about who they would rather play. Yeah, I think that's a good I, I mean, point. I think if we're perfectly honest, I think most teams would rather play us. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, out, would, out wouldn't those, you rather yeah. play the wouldn't you rather play the Jazz than playing Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook has the capability of beating you four times out of seven. Before well, you... if the Jazz were healthy, no, I would I would much rather play Oklahoma City. I think especially if you have a good defense, Oklahoma City is such a one-note team that you know if you're really game planning to stop their fast break and, and take away Westbrook, I think it's for him well, to be that efficient over a seven-game series it seems unlikely to me. Well, talk talk about where we where if we have both bigs healthy, you go and we talk like let's combine all of our conversations. Oh my gosh, you will be so impressed with this our closing argument to the entire conversation mr lawyer where we bring everything together <laughs> you will be so impressed by this but if we bring together your question about favors and we bring together your discussion about covering uh pick and rolls okay so if you don't have favors you play the and you have westbrook then you play the pick and rolls we have all year with him which is you drop the big you try to run him off the three-point line and make him take one of his mid-range jumpers and on two occasions this year he got hot and one time i think he was terrible and we've gone to the wire with him in every single game and he's made some plays to beat us if you have favors and you're in the pick and roll you probably play some funny games with who's matching up with whom based on one you have favors go out and guard the pick and roll and you have him either hedge the pick and roll or you have him play equal to the screen because if westbrook gets by you don't care because you got gobert yeah it's a, it's a good point i mean I, I actually think the jazz when it's, it's all really when healthy for the jazz you know if there, there's going to be this team that george hill is going to be struggling rodney hood is going to be inconsistent where you've basically kind of got Hayward and Gobert and then you know frankly some question marks you know the the Jazz are pretty beatable I think otherwise you know I actually really like their matchup a lot with Houston because of the ability for Gobert and uh, you know George Hill or maybe Hood to play James Harden and whoever is set in the screen two on two in the pick and roll I actually think that Utah is one of the best positioned teams in the league to defend Houston uh, we have not defended them great we have scored great against them you actually go look at the numbers of game by game offensive ratings their offensive ratings been really high against us we've been over 120 twice offensively yeah well i think that's another thing too is just houston doesn't really have the discipline or, or the players to you know i don't think ariza is at the point like he's not that like guy who's both quick and really strong that's going to give hayward problems you know the way like a butler or or uh Mba mute who actually is a wonderful defensive player i mean that's a, that's a reason why you know i think the, the clippers give the jazz some trouble but I mean, I, th- I would give Utah a healthy Utah team a fighting chance in that series. I still think that, you know, Houston is just better than the Clippers, and that's maybe a reason why the Jazz would match up better with the Clippers. But, you know, for some of the reasons we talked about, I mean, can you, last thing before we go, can you elaborate on why it is that the Jazz have struggled against the Clippers so much, even this year? Uh, I think Mbamuta gives Gordon a hard time. 
So that slows us down. Robertson, by the way, gives Gordon a hard time. So Oklahoma City's a bad yeah. matchup for us. Um, so that's the first part. Uh, I think DeAndre Jordan takes away the Gobert role a little bit. And so then that's the second part. Uh, and then they're very physical. They grab and hold a lot. And we have a movement-based offense. Then the officials don't call it. And so we can't get free. And uh, and then it particularly happens when we're in our second quarters. Have been particular. I think we have. I think we're averaging 15 points a game in the second quarter against the Clippers this year. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation in uh, maybe about five minutes or so <laughs> on your podcast. Uh, don't forget about our sponsor for today, Hubble Contacts. Go to HubbleContacts.com. You can get 15 pairs of lenses for free. And then even after that, it's only a dollar a day, uh, $30 a month uh, for a new pair of contacts every day. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to David for coming on. And we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks to BetDSI for sponsoring today's show. March Madness is finally underway, and there's no better place to bet on games than BetDSI. Their live in-game wagering lets you make plays throughout entire games, at home or on the go. And now, in honor of March Madness, BetDSI is having a million-dollar bracket contest for our listeners. You can get a free $25 credit just for registering, as well as a 200% bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code DUNK25, D-U-N-C-25, at BetDSI.com. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.